Hello, hello, this is Alex Burkett, and you're listening to The Long Game Podcast. In this episode, I'm chatting with Patrick Moran. Patrick is currently leading the growth marketing team at Robinhood. He was an executive in residence at Reforge, where he led the growth marketing, experimentation and testing, and brand marketing programs. Previously, he's held marketing leadership roles at House, Spotify, and Netflix. He's also currently the producer and host of the Finding Market Fit podcast, which I was a guest on. It's hard to summarize this conversation because we got super in the weeds on performance marketing and brand marketing, growth marketing, including metrics and measurement across channels and teams, including how to measure brand. I'll call it, quote, a growth marketer explains brand marketing. That's what I'm going to call the podcast, though that doesn't encapsulate all the value because we also talked about how growth has and will change, covering how channels have changed, how audience behavior is changing, as well as measurement changes. Any brand looking to grow in 2024 should listen to this. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Patrick Moran. How does a growth marketer end up creating and leading a brand marketing course at Reforge? Those two to me seem so diametrically opposed. Um, well, uh, it's not like I, I, I uh, well, there, there's a couple of components to that. Uh, first off, in developing the actual program, um, it, it wasn't just myself, right? So there were actual, there were, there were, uh, I, I co-created the, the program with two other folks, uh, Josh Grau and Pierre Class, who are amazing brand marketers themselves. Um, and so I happened to be an EIR and, uh, that's why I ended up leading, leading that program. So I think that's, that's one component of it. The other component of it, which is uh, very much um, kind of like a factor of, of Reforge, is that uh, you know the the qualitative storytelling, developing brand guidelines component of it, I think is really important. But in order to tie it to growth, there's also kind of like a measurement component to it, and uh, the ability to create at least uh, you know sort of a framework on how to approach it systematically. Um, especially in a situation where, you know, your you you've got your you've got budget constraints and resource constraints and what have you. So um, that's that's ultimately how it worked out. But uh, yeah, I, I'm probably uh, I would say on the totem pole of amazing brand marketers uh, among our <laughs> the people who created the program, I was probably on the third rung of that totem pole. Well, I, that actually, to me, is interesting because I I don't really understand brand. Uh, I mean, I kind of get it when I see it, I guess, but I couldn't like break it down to you and explain it to you like like you're five. Um, so maybe because you're a growth marketer and because I consider myself a growth marketer, you can speak to me about brand in the language that I understand, which could be, I think, pretty interesting. Um, so brand versus growth, is it is it that dichotomous or how do you look at like kind of the spectrum of those two things? Like, I guess maybe let's like do some table setting and kind of define what what those areas of marketing kind of even mean in 2023. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a couple of ways to look at it, but maybe the, the more straightforward way to look at it is um, there's a fundamental difference between, um, you know, bottom of the funnel advertising and top of the funnel advertising. Uh, and so there's this conflation that um, brand marketing is only top of the funnel advertising, when the reality is there's a lot of components that define and make up your brand, right? So when you think about your, you know, to think, think about developing a brand or developing, uh, you know, your brand relative to a lot of other things, um, a lot of that is a component of of the input that you have to you know what you want to what you want to stand for. So what I mean by that is, you know, every company has their purpose, right? Every company has their mission, um, and that is essentially expressed mostly through the product, right? So you know, you you, you can you can easily sort of suss out the mission and the vision of let's say Airbnb, um, you know, and you can actually Google it, and then you can make the connection between what they what that is and what the product feels like and what the product allows you to do mm -hmm. within that is okay well what is the story and the narrative that we want to tell and express to the world right and so um there's a lot of components to that and advertising is just one of them right 
there's okay well what's the tone of your message like how do you actually you know speak with people what is your what is your comm strategy um you know how do you communicate what, what is uh how does your ceo your founder talk to their investors um you know uh how is you know how does your product come across um you know and then you know there's other different components to that right so there's your brand story, there's your product story, there's there's a whole bunch of things that you could come up with to actually kind of like develop your brand within the structure of of your purpose, right? Like how you express your purpose. So so that's an entire sort of situation on brand. Um, now then, of course, you know, there's the advertising component of it, and I think that's where you know I think maybe to some extent. Um, there's there's a little bit of confusion, right? It's like, okay, well, brand marketing, then, you know, if, if we start to do brand marketing, um, that means that we're going to start to, you know, um, spend a significant amount of dollars or spend a significant amount of money on advertising things to just drive awareness and consideration. Mm-hmm. When the reality is there's an entire advertising strategy, um, right, that um, is a component of of, of that uh, but it's not holistically, you know, brand marketing, right? So I don't know if that that generally makes sense, but I think that's usually where the confusion starts to kick in, where there's like, okay, well, are you, you know, are you doing brand marketing? Are you doing, you know, direct, are you doing performance marketing? Are you a brand marketer? Are you a performance marketer? Um, and it's like, well, okay, well, first of all, brand is, being a brand marketer is a holistic thing. Like it's an, it's an umbrella situation. Brand advertising is a component of a holistic advertising sort of situation. So, um, you know, breaking it out at least into those components is probably a good start. I can see that brand sort of brand seems to drip through multiple different channels and efforts. It's some somewhat of a composite, um, almost like a, an entity of itself. Um, to me, it makes me think of positioning. So, how does brand differ from positioning if if it does at all? Um, yeah. So th- there's there's a few components that that define your kind of like your brand strategy, right? And positioning is one of them. Um, the reason why positioning is only one component of it is because positioning is always related to one, your uh, target audience. Uh, and, well, actually, it's related to, to how your target audience is currently doing things today and how you ideally would want to influence that behavior to benefit your brand, right? So a positioning statement is actually sort of a culmination of a few different sort of things. But again, um, you know, it th- that's probably one, one area. There's There are other areas, right? So, okay, well, why do we exist? Why, why are we here in the first place, right? So I think that's um, one component of it. Another component of it is, okay, well, what what do we expect the world to look like if we succeed? Right. That's 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 another component of it. So you put these things together and then you kind of have sort of, a, you know, the the makings of, OK, well, directionally, where do we want to go? Right. And then then you have the way to execute against that. Right. So then, OK, well, if if this is where we want to go in the world, this is how we see the world today. Um, and this is where how we want to influence our, our target audience. What is the product we need to build? Um, and more importantly, what are the capabilities that we should not build, right? So if you look at Instagram, for example, Instagram has built a significant amount of features, um, but it still does not take away from the simplicity of the way the product was built, you know, many years ago, right? There's a lot, I mean, you look at the difference between Instagram and, I don't know, Flickr or Twitter, right? Mm. Um, Or even the differences between these social networks the behaviors of of the audiences in those networks are fundamentally different, even if you're the same user. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the features that they're building. Those features, there's those features they're building comes from a purpose, right? Now, whether they state it as a purpose or you know some other thing, it comes from a purpose which informs the product strategy. So, you know, that's that those are the components of that. The reason why I'm talking about product is because it feels like most more often than not, that um, it becomes more real if it's if it's on the product 
whereas it's fluffy if it's if it's on marketing when the reality is it's actually the same it's just that the product ex- is able to express it in a way that you're able to experience it but the marketing is is coming from the same playbook right so there's an advertising component to it there's your tone there's your messaging you're talking to different users in different ways right so i'll i'll, I'll go even a little bit deeper in performance marketing you have different ltv audience like like the more sophisticated uh, performance marketers will always optimize to multiple LTVs, all right? So it's not just one LTV because that's an average. You probably want to, you know, optimize to, okay, well, here are our higher value users, our mid value, you know, lower value. We're making a bet on, uh, we're making a bet on some of these lower, maybe mid value for a handful of different reasons. Some of them may be competitive. Some of it may be is because we expect that, you know, our attention rates will be stronger and that we can be able to monetize them. Well, you're speaking to those audiences in varying ways. Mm. And the way that you speak with those audiences, the way that you develop your narrative is based off of something. And that's based off of your brand strategy, right? So I think that's that. those are probably some of the things to, to consider when, when you're thinking about, you know, okay, well, what's the difference between positioning and some of the other components? Well, there's a source. And at the very source is kind of like, you know, something that is informing the direction of everything. Mm. This may be esoteric, but it, it brought up an idea. So uh, I think positioning, in my experience, is, is it, it de- you're definitely looking at the market, but a lot of it is uh, almost like an internal strategic exercise uh, to figure out how you can best position your brand, your product, all of kind of like the initiatives that you're building out um, to best capture what you think is going to be a successful path, uh, depending on your goals. Um with your examples there with Twitter and, and Instagram, I can see how the product uh, decisions influence how people behave on the platform. Simply, you know, Twitter is or started out as a largely text-based platform, short form. Instagram is very visual. So like people behave differently. But I'm curious because like now there's threads and threads is similar to Twitter. Um, but I think the audience is so different. So I wonder... I wonder, like with growth marketing, you, you seemingly have so much control, right? Like you can you can turn on ads, you can turn off ads, you can build these pages, you can cut those pages. Like there's so much control. It seems like with brand, there may be some symbiosis between the audience itself and the product in that like maybe their behavior also influences the product features and vice versa, right? Like threads feel so <laughs> like positive and cheery and campy. And tw- when I go on Twitter, I'm like, it's all like fight videos and politics and people like quote tweeting each other and shit. (laughs) So I wonder if there's some semblance of like, Hey, like, even if you build this strategy, this positioning, these product features, there's still some element that like your audience is going to tell you what the brand is. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And if you think about it, um, that's, that's just the function of building a product to try and gain product market fit. Um, And that's why there's a difference between building a product and trying to uh, gain and strengthen product market fit versus advertising. Hmm. Those are two fundamentally different things because to your point, advertising, I mean, you look at consumer products for advertising, what is the the look back period? Seven days. So I have control within a seven day period of what to advertise. uh, And not only that, I'm getting the help of, you know, Meta or Facebook or Google because they're doing a significant amount of the algorithms and targeting and frequency capping and creative sequencing on their side, right? So again, so from an advertising perspective, definitely it's controllable because the other thing too is it's one way for the most part. Mm. As an advertiser, um, you know, I spend money, here are the ads, and then, you know, I, I expect some type of return against it. Whereas product market fit or trying to strengthen product market fit is, I mean, is at the very least, a two-way relationship. And the reason why I say very least is because you look at marketplaces and marketplaces have, you know, sort of multiple parties against them. But that, I mean, that that's, you know, that that's kind of like where that that's, that's the difference. Right. And so when you think about positioning, there's a couple of different sort of layers of positioning as well. There's positioning at the campaign level, right? So, um, you know, this, this particular feature or product is for this audience does this behavior and we are the better alternative for this particular behavior because a b and c um you know so there's 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 but there's also positioning at at the highest level which is at kind of like at the company level um which ariel jackson 
um, who's one of the amazing marketers, I guess, that I've gotten to speak with, will argue, rightfully so, that you probably want to define your positioning first before you even write a line of code. Mm. Uh, and it's because it's so upstream that you want to figure out your direction first and then scale versus scale and then figure out direction after, right? So I think maybe that's that's kind of like another sort of component to, to, to your point about positioning, but um, to your question around, you know, kind of like the more malleable type dynamic and nuanced relationship between, uh, you know, um, a brand and their customers. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely true versus an advertising sort of scenario, which is which is um, certainly much more uh, single direction than, than anything else. All right. Well, I want to enter the murky waters of measurement, if you're all right with that. <laughs> Um, how do I phrase this? So let's start high level. And again, we're using the dichotomy of growth marketing and brand marketing, uh, just to set the table. In my experience, growth marketers have basically been defined by their preponderance on measurement. Like everything you can do can be measured. I, that may, may or may not be true. I think it's getting more difficult, but one skepticism I think I've heard, or I felt as a growth marketer is that it's, it's kind of like, I, it's like I have faith that brand matters, right? Like I, I can kind of intuit that having a brand matters, but I can't prove it. I can't measure it. So is there is there a way to prove it, to measure it, to quantify it? Or is it like, is it just the dichotomy of say like science versus art? Um. So it, it depends. It depends on, there, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things to measure, right? <laughs> um. So I guess maybe maybe I'll 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 focus it on a couple of of areas. Um. So when when we talk about growth marketers, my my definition there's many definitions to growth marketing, but my definition is basically the use of communication channels or growth marketers or growth marketing is basically the use of communication channels to drive predictable growth. That's sorry. Not- just I I just want to interrupt real quick. And there's growth product which you would differentiate from growth marketing. Yes, I yes, I would I would completely differentiate that, right? So hmm. so growth marketing I would define as the uh, skill set or the capabilities of using communication channels uh, to drive predictable growth. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. right, so by communication channels, you know, paid, owned. Well, it's really mostly paid and owned. Right, um, right. SEO, like paid ads, right. et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And there are others, right? I mean, sometimes SDRs, like the growth teams love SDRs sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah, and there's there's others, right? I mean, there's, you know, there's there's user to user growth, there's, you know, uh, and, and things like that. But pearls mm-hmm. and, and what have you. But but generally speaking, you know, when you talk about, and, and generally speaking, it, it, that's what gets the most attention because, you know, usually a significant portion of a company's budget goes into paid marketing, right? And so that, that's why this it gets like a significant amount of attention. Um, so, so from a, from a, from a measurement standpoint, um, within that world, uh, there, you know, there's a certain, there's certainly a lot of things that you can now measure, right? Um, let's say on the acquisition side, uh, if I'm spending a hundred dollars, um, you know, I want to be able to understand what I'm getting out of that hundred dollars and when. Right, because the when the 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 what I'm going to get for that hundred dollars defines my ROI, and then the when defines uh, when the company starts to get their when the company starts to get their make their money back. Right, the the error, the big error that I see in this world is to try and use the measurement applications of growth marketing to the worlds outside of growth marketing hmm. because it's just different, right? Now, let's now get into like brand advertising, right? Um, which is kind of like where a lot of the core of these conversations typically end up. Um, so when when we talk about growth marketing, there are a couple of very discrete or not discrete, but very definitive sort of variables to measuring growth marketing, 
right? So let's just take acquisition, for example, and then let's get into retention in a little bit. So for acquisition, the more the most important component, at least, um, at least from my experience, is essentially ROI and payback period. All the, those those two things, right? So ROI meaning what is the value that the user is going to be bringing into the platform, and how much am I paying to bring that user in? And then um, how long is it going to take? for that user to pay me back so that I can start to realize um, you know, that revenue or that profit uh, in order to invest that back into the business, right? Now, there's a couple of ways that you can measure those different components. You have to measure, first of all, the LTV or what is the best way to measure LTV, right? And so I can go down into a rabbit hole of how you do that, but typically it's, you know, it's revenue multiplied by contribution margin, typically, and then, you know, some retention component. Mm-hmm. Um, then you also want to measure well, how, what are we using for, for spend, right? So um, there's, I can also go down a rabbit hole in that. Um, usually there's working media and then there's a couple of other components. And then payback period is, LTV is usually kind of like a misnomer because it's it's really not lifetime. It's lifetime or profit or contribution margin for a certain period of time. So usually one year, two years, six months, whatever it is, depending on the stage of the company. And those are kind of like the building blocks for your ROI. Now, the measurement component of it is like, okay, well, how do we then determine whether or not what I did is actually impactful, right? So like, like if I spent on this thing, wouldn't it, would it have happened anyway, right? And that's where, you know, you start to get into kind of like how discrete or how discriminate you want to be with efficiency, because a perfect example of this would be branded search, right? So I can be spending a significant amount of money on branded search and the business might be indicating to me that it's bringing a significant amount of revenue to the business, but is it really, truly incremental and impactful? Like if I took my money out of brand search, would that have happened anyway, mm. right? Because people are typing in my brand on Google and they're they're clicking on the first link. And so their motivations or their intention was really already done before they clicked on my link, right? Um, so that's one extreme. On the other extreme, obviously are, you know, like just like basically advertising and things like that, right? So, so um, from a measurement component, there are there are many different ways to do this. Um, usually you want to triangulate, um, different ways. So you can run match market tests, um, and incrementality tests. Basically you can say, okay, well for these cities or for these audiences, they're not going to get ads, um, or they're going to get some other type of fake ad or whatever. And then for this audience, they're going to get my ad. And then I'm going to see the difference between both. Hmm. Challenge with that is that one, it's expensive. Um, two, because you're dealing with opportunity cost. Mm. The, the second thing is that, well, what if you're running six or seven different channels? Okay, well, how are you going to do it from that standpoint? Are you going to run incre- seven different incrementality tests over the course of time? Um, you, there's many different ways to do it, right? You could you could basically bulk it up. You could you know do two x spend versus one and a half x spend versus half spend or whatever. It is. There's many different ways, but it's complicated. So there's so there's incrementality testing. Then um, there's like MMM, which is essentially the correlation between how much you're spending and the impact your business is driving. So as I spend up, as I spend down, what is the impact of the business? And that's mostly kind of like a like more of like a a statistical sort of relationship. Or regression of sorts. Are you still isolating the variables in that? Or are you just looking at composite correlations? Um, it depends on the models that you're using. But um, generally speaking, you could probably uh, tease out a few different KPIs mm. relative spend, right? So you could break out different business variables. So maybe there are some businesses where uh, um, sign up isn't the only thing they want to measure, mm-hmm. right? Maybe there are businesses where, like, you look at e-commerce, right? So e-commerce sign up matters, but you know, second, third, fourth transaction matters a lot as well. Um, and so you basically want to measure, okay, the impact that as I increase or decrease spend on different channels, 
six or seven, seven different channels or whatever, which have different permutations that you've taken macro conditions, you want to then kind of like determine, okay, well, how does that impacting, you know, transaction rates, I guess, per user, right? Mm -hmm. so there's and then there's attribution, right? And so attribution is a little bit tougher these days because of iOS 14, but the thing is with attribution, what that allows you to do is it allows you to measure kind of like real time, right? So incrementality, sometimes you run it, sometimes you don't. Um, but then attribution will kind of like allow you to sort of measure things real time, right? But you know, there there are people, there are, are very smart analysts uh, or data scientists who will make the argument to run a persistent holdout, so you don't mm -hmm. have to run. So you just there's one DMA or one city where it never gets anything, okay. right? For a quarter, it never gets anything. And then you swap out that DMA for another one that never gets anything for a quarter or whatever. So the, the, those are kind of like like how you would measure or how you would think about measuring um, paid media um, sort of capabilities for growth marketing. Now, okay, then, but he, here's the problem. The problem with paid media and the problem with, or I wouldn't say the problem, the challenge. The challenge with that is that the, re, the, the, the reason why Google and Facebook and TikTok and what have you one of the main reasons why they're able to deliver the audiences to you is because you send them signals back on the types of users that typically convert. Mm -hmm. What they then do is they, they scour their entire network of hundreds of millions of users who are using their products, who have indicated some type of interest in your product. And they will show them your ads in mm -hmm. order for, for them to give you back an ROI that is sufficient, right? That's how this works, right? And so when you're essentially, when you're advertising on YouTube or you're advertising on Google Display Network, you're sending Google back signals to tell them here, here are the types of users that I need or that I want. If you don't send them back signals, you're not going to, it's not going to be efficient. Right, right, right. There's a reinforcement learning component to this. Exactly. What mm. they do is then they look at all the people who search on all a whole bunch of things, who have a whole bunch of Gmails on a whole bunch of things, who search on YouTube on a whole bunch of things. And algorithmically, they're able to determine here are the most likely people who will convert on your product because they've already indicated intent, right? Which basically by definition means it's a bottom of the funnel kind of like sort of situation right meaning meaning you're only you're only acquiring users who have already indicated intent well what about the users who have not indicated intent what about the users who you know i don't know like maybe i'm going to buy a car in 6 months you know or you know maybe i'm using you know notion now or or using Coda now, and maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I might want to use Notion later on, or whatever it is, right? So then from that standpoint, from an advertising standpoint, you want to attract, you want to, you want to approach that in a different way. And so when you approach that in a different way, you're not fo solely focusing on the algorithms, I guess, that, you know, Google and Facebook are giving you from a performance standpoint. You're kind of focusing on other things. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there's different methods to do that on, let's say, Google or Facebook, where you're optimizing now for, you know, other things outside of conversion rates, right? Maybe you're optimizing for site visits. Maybe you're optimizing for, you know, people who are interested in something. Right. Maybe um, you're just using business rule-based logic instead of like algorithmic logic. And... And this is also why I'm not saying, you know, it's right or wrong. Um, you know, different companies have different strategies, but this is also then why you want to go broad, right? With broad with your advertising is to introduce to a larger market something, right? So big, uh, like <clears throat> the companies that do this really well are the entertainment companies, right? So <clears throat> there's a new movie, there's a new show. You don't know about it, um, but we're going to go broad. Because uh, one, we want a lot of people to know um, it's a mass market product, but two, we also want people to talk about it. So there's an earned component to it, right? And then three, your performance marketing 
technically speaking, can now hopefully have a larger pool or a larger TAM to optimize and acquire against, right? Because now, um, you know, you've generated a little more interest. And those are the, that's how usually the two upper funnel and bottom funnel advertising work together. Now, I really don't like saying brand versus performance because all of this is performance, yeah. right? It's just, it just depends on when they're going to convert. Um, and at the same time, all of this is also brand because the ads that you're using for performance has to be within your brand guidelines. You don't want, you know, you, you certainly don't want to piss off your creative people um, and then just start, you know, you know, creating your own like very, you know, clickbait ads, right? Because that's just gonna kill your brand, right? So um, but usually speaking, I mean that's 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 typically how um, you know, the, the two kind of like work. This is a very, by the way, the other thing too is that this is a very consumer oriented view. I mean, the, the B2B view is a little bit different, a little bit more nuanced, but. Uh, yeah, well, I was thinking with the B2B one, it was uh, the, the the hangup that I had was on LTV uh, because like at past companies, like I've seen deals come through that were hundreds of thousands of dollars and then most were like 12,000 or something like that. So it's like, you know, like shifting. Yeah, I think that's where you come into the multiple LTVs. Like if we work with SAP, or with Robinhood, like we like that's going to be a different LTV for us than like probably 60% of our portfolio of clients. So it's like when we do modeling, we have to kind of like think about, all right, what's the segment there? But I think the rest makes sense. And actually, I, the dumbest analogy came to mind. So humor me here. But I, I think a lot of growth marketers really, um, they think in isolation. So um, like if you're running uh, bottom funnel paid ads and you're at HubSpot, you're probably just by nature of having the brand of HubSpot going to convert better than if you were a no-name CRM or if you're running sales development outreach campaigns, you're going to get a higher response rate than if you were some no-name startup. And I think it's hard to um, to quantify that. So it's almost like I'm imagining a basketball team. Um, and if you only have like one person running down court and like they're the growth marketer, like they're trying to, you know, make a basket, like they've only got a couple moves available to them. And the only thing they can do is maybe like practice, like they're dribbling and they're shooting and maybe they get 10, 20% better. But when you add those other components where you can have an assist and you can pass a couple times and you can like, you, like you ultimately like expand your options and you can, you can make that shot at the right time. It's hard to like say, all right, which person who passed the ball first, second or third ended up like assisting to make that shot, but obviously it helped you in your goal of making, of, of scoring points. <laughs> I don't know if that metaphor makes any sense whatsoever, but like that upstream effect of brand marketing clearly has a downstream effect on, on growth and performance. It does. Um, and so I think there's always this, um, I wouldn't say tension, but there's always a relationship between your expected growth rate and your TAM. Mm -hmm. Right. There's, there's always that there's always going to be that. Right. Meaning if you're earlier stage. Right. And you're kind of like just breaking through your TAM is fairly massive. Um, and so your expectations for growth rate kind of like matches that. But you're working with smaller numbers. Mm. And so if you're working with smaller numbers. Then at that point, then you just kind of want to get out there. Right. Um, so maybe your your, you know, your level of sophistication relative to, let's say, the Amazon advertisers of the world or whatever, um, maybe isn't, you know, as sophisticated, but, um, you know, it, it just depends on, on, you know, how much, you know, how much you actually want to acquire by. Once you hear, you're hitting a point where you're kind of saturating the market, then you're, then you have to get a lot more sophisticated because at that point, you know, you're, you're, you're competing against many players not just your peers, but also all the startups, right? Um, and you're also now trying to reacquire a lot of customers or users that, uh, you know, that use your service, you know, many years ago, uh, you know, that use a different product and now you're a, a new product, right? And so it just comes along with that, right? So the, the, the larger you grow, the more sophisticated you just have to get because by definition, it just because the 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 TAM the your the the makeup of your of your TAM just becomes a lot more murky, right? Mm. A lot more. They, they have many more options, 
they've pr probably used your product, they've used your competitors' products maybe to some degree. Um, and so, and, and then you're you're also starting to face, you know, your ceiling with your ROI, right? So, um, which is why LTV by nature just has to grow. And mm -hmm. so ultimately tied to product market fit, right? So the stronger your product market fit, stronger LTV ideally, um, if you're monetizing effectively. Um, and so, which gives you a little bit more money to spend, right? So, but yeah, so that it that's you know it, it it makes a ton of sense. I mean, we felt the same way, you know, at Spotify. And and I'll give you a couple of examples, right? So let's say Spotify in um, let's just say uh, Brazil, right? So Spotify in Brazil, um, you know, it's 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 a massive market because the competitors that you have in Brazil are mostly still on analog. You only have maybe one, two, or three main streaming competitors, and it's just the, the audience is so big. And so from that standpoint, at least when I was there, it was a straight acquisition play, right? It's like, okay, well, you know, let's, you know, let, let's, let's double down on a couple of channels and then just acquire, along with a lot of other things, right? Like partnerships, what have you, but, but generally speaking, it was much more direct. But when you compare that to, let's say, the U.S. market, where you have seven, you know, six really strong big players, and you've pretty much acquired the entire market or the entire TAM, and now you're kind of like trying to reacquire it. At that point, you have to get much more sophisticated with the way that you're doing things, right? And so that may, maybe it's not just growth marketing, it's, it's other things. Mm -hmm. Partnership, it's, art, it's, it's partnering with artists, et cetera, et cetera. Because again, you're already, hit, you're already hitting kind of like marginal returns with your spend, right? And so... This is also why you have a lot of companies doubling down on like Martech um, is because you, because even if you push your marginal spend by basis points, the impact, the absolute dollars is pretty significant, right? So like if I'm able to say, okay, well, rather than spending, you know, a million dollars in advertising, I can spend, you know, a million and, and you know, 1.1 1 .1 million, right? The percentage lift, you know, it maybe is not as significant, but the absolute dollar lift is actually fairly significant, right? And so that's why you're seeing a lot more, you know, companies using automation and, and machine learning to try and push the envelope a little bit, especially on the lifecycle side. Yeah, can you double down on that? What do you, what did you mean by uh, companies are are doubling down on Martech? Yeah, so <clears throat> there's okay, so there's a couple of components to Martech, right? So there's Martech, there's this infrastructure which just allows you to move data much more seamlessly, and the reason why. That's important is because it's not just for reporting and analytics. It's also because, okay, well, um, if I'm able to move <clears throat> data to Google or to Facebook much more seamlessly, the feedback loop becomes faster. And therefore, I'm able to learn faster and I'm able to acquire users um, at a faster rate or uh, versus my competitors, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's just infrastructure, right? And so there's, you know, there's obviously there's your CDP and then there's application layers on top of that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but let's say, you know, um, I'm, let, let's say I'm spending, uh, you know, a hundred dollars per user, right. To, to bring in a user who has an LTV of, I don't know, a hundred dollars as well. So it's like the ROI of one. When I spend my first, so let's say my budget is a thousand dollars to be simple. When I spend my first $100, because the TAM is still fairly large, I'm going to get an ROI that's decent. Mm -hmm. My first 100. When I spend my second 100, because the TAM is still fairly decent, my, my ROI is still pretty decent. Mm -hmm. When I spent my 10th $100, my ROI is going to start to get lower. Because I'm already acquiring as many users as I can. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, there's two components to, that inform that. At the very least, two. There's there's a couple of others. <clears throat> Conversion rates on your product, whatever. But one component is what I talked about earlier in the signals that I pass back to the publisher. Right? Like, how clear is that? And how quickly can I send that back to the publisher? Right? So that they're equipped with as much as they possibly can. The second is creative, right? So like if I'm able to develop like a better creative than let's say my competitor and Google is showing 
a user, my ad and my competitor's ad. And if my creative wins out, then I convert that user, right? So what marginal ROI will allow me to do is basically say, at the 11th $100, I can push it up one more, right? Like I can push it up just a little bit more, right? So like if I'm hitting marginal ROI at my 10th $100, maybe I can do it at my 11th $100 and maybe a component that's creative. Okay, so when you think about like machine learning and things like that, and you essentially say, okay, well, you know what? I want to apply machine learning to creatives so that my creative is so hyper-personalized that it'll convert users at a better and more efficient rate. Companies in e-commerce do this extremely well with email. If you get an email from Wayfair, this was a couple of years ago, you'll see like six boxes in there. Some of them are curated by a person. Some of them are algorithmically done. And that's optimize your the propensity of you purchasing off of that email. Hmm. So you can think about the same thing for Facebook ads or YouTube ads or what have you, where you can now use MarTech and machine learning to determine, okay, well, here's the creative I kind of want to use, right? So if you talk to any of these like creative agencies on the performance side who are really good, what they will do is they will break out the video into like say three or four components. And within the three or four components of that video are iterations of the first component, iterations mm-hmm. of the second component. Iter- so you as a user, as a distinct user, will get a flavor of the video versus me, right? And machine learning will, will, will plug in that. And the reason for that is simply to push the envelope as high as they possibly can to the point where they start to hit marginal sort of returns. But that's where the machine learning component and MarTech component of it starts to kick in. you have a background in economics or finance? <laughs> no, no, I just have a background in asking a whole bunch of data scientists and, and, and marketing analytics people questions on different things. <laughs> so you're, you're speaking my language now, and just like marginal utility, diminishing marginal utility, expected value, like all of that stuff. Like. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Could we, 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 I mean, it's much more applicable to the world of paid because of all of the technologies that you mentioned. But we try to look at SEO under that lens too. Um, and I think it's a rare lens to look at things under, but I, I really resonate with it. So I was just wondering if you had any background there. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I went to the business school, but, but many, many years ago. So I, I don't know if it's that, that's even sort of valid at this point. Um, but, I think all the all of these like underpinning uh, philosophies and and uh, disciplines tend to they 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 show up in growth, right? Like I remember my background was in experimentation, and I would it, like I didn't know where the models came from, but then you know I would read on my own, and I'm like, oh wow, the lean startup model. That's kind of like how CRO like you know process was run, or like like you you kind of see these things and like economics show up in in different fields and you're like oh that's where that came from it wasn't like this new thing that like we just like came up with overnight you know yeah and i think you know i think this is where i mean to be quite candid this is where um working with really great people um you know starts to have some benefits right because uh you know working with really great people one surfaces up certain certain you know frameworks or certain philosophies that maybe I wouldn't have thought of. But then two is that you then start to you're you're kind of forced to really start to think very deliberately and deeply about these things um, because this is kind of like the world that we live in, right? So that's why I also really fundamentally enjoyed my time at Reforge is because um, you know you're kind of like course the thing in 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 frameworks right it's like okay well obviously everybody thinks about things from a tactical and application standpoint right so that's kind of like a given okay well what are the commonalities in this world mm-hmm. um you know what are some of the common things that we're seeing given what's going on today in different businesses and that's usually where frameworks start to come in and um and yeah i mean i think you know 
having taught the the program wasn't just me teaching it was me exposed to some amazing growth marketers who kind of like think this way and I was just very lucky and fortunate to have been able to ask them a whole bunch of questions so but yeah I yeah to, to your point it's it's um you know it's I guess I'm 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 the beneficiary of being exposed to a lot of just really great people so um we're I, we're coming up on time I really wish we had more time maybe we'll do a part two in the future but um I did want to ask like being in growth, you've been in growth for a while. Um, things have changed economically over the past couple of years, especially in tech. Uh, it's kind of a roller coaster, still is. Um, artificial intelligence, there's there's tectonic shifts happening. How have you seen growth change in your career? And how does it look today versus, let's say, like four years ago? Like, are there different expectations? Is the model changing? How are we thinking about growth now? Um, so I don't. I ideally would want to give you a much more philosophical philosophical answer to this one, but maybe I'll give you something that's slightly more tactical, at least given kind of like what I've seen. Um, you know, it, what I've seen, I guess, over over many years. Um. There's three components, I guess, maybe that I think about. The first component is channel. The second component is the ability to measure. And the third component is audience behavior. Um, and so when I think about channel, um, like it, it went from many to a few to now expanding to many again. Mm. Um, and I'll give, I'll, I'll provide you with, with, exactly what I mean by that. So back in the day, we had uh, a lot of a lot of advertising was really display advertising and paid search. But display advertising was, I don't know, millions of different publishers. And so you had this thing called programmatic sort of display advertising where you had to go through like a stock exchange in order to acquire some type of inventory on display, right? So it was just very decoupled. And then it was even more decoupled because of website or web and mobile. And then you had like paid search or what have you. And then it, it then it isolated into two main players, mainly Google and Facebook for many years. And the reason why they were it isolated to, to two of them is because one, they were able to gain a significant share of eyeballs, but two, they were able to, they were the first two platforms to really bring together desktop and mobile. Um, and then now you're kind of like seeing an expansion back again into other types of players, like TikTok and Snap, and you know, and you're seeing the programmatic, like other channels becoming more programmatic, right? So whether it's TV or out of home and, and what have you. Um so, so that's kind of like what's happening on the channel set. The other side of that is um, when you look at the retention component of it or retention marketing component of it, you've also now gone from a very tight, the, the solutions that solve for it have gone from B2B-ish, right? So CRM solutions where they only focus on email to now uh, cross-channel platform messaging um, you know, which encompasses email, push, in-app, along with potentially paid on singular platforms, right? So I think that's one is the channels. Um, and so we're now kind of like living in a world where it's a little bit more contained, but we're now kind of like decoupling and it, it's, span, it, it's now expanding even more. I just don't know how much more it's going to expand by because Facebook and Google have the, probably the best data scientists in the world mm -hmm. and they could come up with algorithms really effectively that essentially, you know, guarantee an ROI. And advertisers will always sort of, you know, um, gravitate towards that. And then the best machines that will allow for uh, personalization on the retention side are going to win um, relative to the channels that are made available to them. So whether it's, you know, email, push, you know, and, and things like that. So that's kind of like how I'm thinking about channels like today. Um, um, the second thing is measurement. Um, and so... Uh, when we think about, you know, when we think about measurement, um, again, there's, you know, we went from attribution based um, to, you know, 
incrementality based to now some type of mix between MMM incrementality and attribution, especially with like iOS 14. So I think those three are probably going to continue, um, you know, it, at least in the near future, or at least the, the, the companies that are able to effectively work with those three types of measurement um, will usually do well across both acquisition and retention. And then audience behaviors. And so again, we were talking about this earlier, where people have different behaviors on different platforms, including your own, right? And so I think companies who are able to, and this goes back to brand, who are able to tell the most effective stories relative to the platform the audience is in, usually will win. So if you're able to tell an effective story on TikTok that is different from Facebook, that is different from your platform, and are able to communicate it in a way that sounds and feels authentic um, and kind of like build a network around it, I think usually. So those are kind of like, I guess, maybe where I kind of like see the world today. I mean, obviously it, it's changed in many different sort of facets, you know, over decades. Um, but um, I just, and then, and then I, your, your, your question around AI, I, I think AI is just going to play a role in all of those. Um, components, whether it's a creative or measurement or even in just, you know, process optimization. Um, so I, for me, it's a little bit difficult to sort of isolate that, but, but at least that, that's how I'm thinking about it. You know, for such a broad question, that was a very crisp and organized answer. So thank you. Um, all right, cool. We're at time. I wish we could talk longer, but um, thank you so much. This conversation was super fun um, and detailed. Love it. Um, where can people find you online? Yeah. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Patrick Moran. There's another Patrick Moran who, who's, who's, who was the CMO of Calendly, who's, a, who's amazing, by the way. I'm not him. Um, I was at, I was at Spotify and, and now at Robinhood uh, and I was at Reforge. So that's who I am. Uh, I have a podcast. I hope to continue to podcast maybe for several more months at the very least. It's called Finding Market Fit. Um, I talked to, to great marketers. I've had you on, so I, I you know, thank you so much for that. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so maybe those, those, uh, those, those two areas. I guess. Awesome. Thank you so much. 